0: Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the wild and woolly, long, drawn out, election result hangover. Feeling a little queasy, a little uneasy. How long must this go on? Yes, working in a coal mine. That was sort of the way I feel about this. It's very tiresome. Just as a citizen, I don't want to have to wait 7 or 8 days for election results. It just it doesn't give you confidence in the election results. Especially let's just take Arizona for example, you know, Maricopa County couldn't get anything together on election day. And now of course your liberal media would say, "Hey, You can't question Maricopa County. That's what the fringies do. It's like, guess what? You screwed up. You know, I'm not an election denier, but you sound like a screw-up denier. You are not building confidence in your election system this way. And I'm sorry, you know, this is one of those things where it sounds like, I mean, I watch my NFL Red Zone on Sundays, the witching hour, when losses become wins and wins become losses. And you just get that feeling sometimes, like in Nevada, of, well, your candidate was up three points and oh, you know, we're in Vegas now. We're in Harry Reid territory where it's like, Uh, We got some unions down here who know how to get out the brass knuckles and bada-bing, bada-boom, Democrats win. Uh, This is the sort of thing that I I think we should have clean elections. We can have this whole thing that democracy is on the ballot. Well, again, you're not building trust. We need a system... I think ev- all Americans would like a system. We would like a news media that wants a system of nice, clean elections that end on time. You understand that some of these races where it's like, well, 98% of the vote is in and, is, and there's a 300-vote uh, difference. That does happen, but it's just like, I, you know, if I wasn't a media monitor for a living, I would be taking a week of vacation right now. I don't like all the uncertainty. I certainly don't like the idea that George is going to give us runoffs. Guess what? You have another several weeks of the media beating Herschel Walker senseless. Oh, well. I thought um, what intrigued me today, what was worth talking about, is two decades ago, I was a White House correspondent for the weekly news magazine World Magazine. Uh, and, uh, so I was in the room for two years, uh, and I tried to be a constructive presence in the room. I was not a screamer. Uh, I tried to ask questions that you would want to elicit a newsworthy answer. So sometimes when I see some of the questions that these white house reporters ask, I just, I'm like, please do you, is that the best you have? Is this the best you can do? Curtis Houck had a blog the other day about the Joe Biden post-midterms press conference. And he listed some of the dumbest questions, and I agree, these are pretty dumb. Nancy Cortez of CBS was all asking about how Biden's agenda hits a brick wall. Let's listen. When it comes to your legislative agenda, when you were vice president, your legislative agenda basically ran into a brick wall two years in when Republicans took control of the House. And that lasted for the rest of the Obama presidency. Is there any way for you to prevent that same fate from happening this time around? Now, I sort of hate this whole idea. You know, this is where you can tell reporters are Democrats and Democrats are reporters because they get upset that Biden's agenda is ruined. Like they got upset that Obama's agenda was ruined. Do you remember anybody after the midterms of 2018 going, Oh, no, Trump's agenda is ruined. No. You know, the fact of the matter is, in an actual democracy, you don't get your agenda for four years. You can pass what is able to pass. And some things you're not able to pass. And it's kind of funny because... Um, In some of these cases, media coverage makes everything more complicated. I mean, obviously, in these cases, the media is very boosterish. You know, the media is like, oh boy, an infrastructure bill, how exciting. Oh boy, the Inflation Reduction Act. Oh boy, the American Rescue Plan. Oh boy, build back better, build back better, build back better. And they used all of Biden's lingo and slogans. And, of course, the American Rescue Plan turned out to be the American Inflation Plan. That's not the way the media presented it, of course. And now they spent the fall election season saying, oh, you can't really attach Biden to inflation because it's kind of like a global phenomenon. So it's not fair to blame Biden for inflation. It's something that just kind of happens to him. Yes, disasters and fiascos under Democrat presidents can never be laid at the feet of Democrats, which is another sign that reporters are Democrats and Democrats are reporters. Now I'm going to hammer this point one more time. I may hammer this point 37 times. Nancy Cordes then goes on to complain... Republicans have made it clear if they do take control of the House, they want to launch a raft of investigations on day one into your handling of Afghanistan, the border. They want to look into some of your cabinet officials. They want to investigate you. They may may want to even investigate your son. What's your message to Republicans who are considering investigating your family and particularly your son's Hunter's business dealings? Now, the implication here is that this is somehow immensely personal. This is like a below the belt strategy. How dare you hit the president's son, the drug addict? The, I mean, and so we obviously ask the question the other way. This is what we like to do we turn it around back on you. Did anybody say, Mr. President, the Democrats are even investigating your family and your sons and their business relationships? No. They all thought that's what democracy dies in darkness unless we investigate Donald and Eric and Ivanka. Ivanka's complicit. You know, I mean, you know, the Washington Post had David Fahrenthold whose whole job was to investigate the Trump business. Okay, well, now David Fahrenthold can investigate the Biden business for the Washington Post. Nope. Sorry. Still investigating the Trump business because reporters are Democrats and Democrats are reporters. This is why I just, I get upset at this idea. We just had a year of January 6 hearings with a stilted committee that was basically all Democrats, all right? Cheney and Kinsinger, effectively Democrats. And then they're going to, the, Nancy Cordes is a silly person. If she's going to stand up and say, and now we're going to have something dramatically different, we're going to have investigations into the opposing party. We're going to have investigations that seem destined to harm the opposing party. What on earth do these people think the January 6th hearings were up to? Now, I bet you they look at these election results and the Democrats say the January 6th hearings actually were a success for us. This whole line of we're going to run on democracy was echoing the January 6th committee. To whatever extent you can say that Donald Trump was political poison on the campaign trail this year, it could be said, see, look, the January 6th committee. The January 6th committee underlined how cranky he was that day. He was throwing plates at the walls. You know, it's it's one of these things where I think we all understand that what happens in Washington, in most Congresses, is the party in power investigates the other party it kind t- of tends to happen now you can say as a news person that your investigation is not newsworthy and we all understand the way this works because reporters are democrats and democrats are reporters and that is investigating the biden family is rude that somehow it's unpatriotic un-american and investigating the trump family is is, you know, put your hand over your heart and sing God Bless America. That's really the way that the news media sounds. You know, it's very unfortunate that the Republicans are going to come in and question your, you know, your border policy. Question to Nancy Cortez. is it the border policy working right now? I mean, what it sounds like is Nancy Cortez comes in and says, Mr. President, the Republicans are considering investigating several of your failures that we at CBS don't care to investigate. Does Nancy Cortez go down to the border to see how it's going? No, CBS is sending reporters to Ron DeSantis' press conferences to yell at him because CBS is a pile of Democrats. When their uh, when their editors and stuff aren't uh, you know grabbing the crotches, you know showing up naked Charlie Rose. 60 minutes tick 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 look at my dick. I tell you. Then there's CNN. You know, we had Jim Acosta screaming at Trump, and you can't really say he was questioning Trump. Mostly he was just trolling him because he didn't actually accept the answers. He also, he didn't know when to shut up. You know, and now we have Phil Mattingly coming in from CNN, and this is sort of a different flavor. But, you know, is this what we would call the anti-Jim Acosta, or is this just the kind of nice little kitty on your lap that Jim Acosta would have been? Under Joe Biden. Phil Manningley was mentioning we have the upcoming G20 summit that Biden's going to, and he wondered how other world leaders view this moment, both for America and for your presidency, with Trump maybe launching his campaign on Tuesday. Now, look, first of all, you know, they were always very concerned. That Trump was damaging the image of America in the eyes of the world, and what Mattingly is basically doing here is doing the same thing. And now my follow-up question under Biden is: Trump still harming our reputation abroad? I just—it's it, just comical to me. Can you get a softer ball there, Phil? You call your guys—you—it's a news network. What kind of news-making question is it? I wonder how you view this moment. Could you have an emptier question? Beauty pageant contestants get tougher questions than this, Phil Mattingly. But surprisingly, it got worse. Mattingly dug deeper about whether Biden believes the fever has broken on civility. Let's listen. You you noted that you felt like there was a shift in terms of Uh, people being willing to show more decency in this moment. You've often talked about breaking the fever or kind of a transition from this moment that we've faced over the last several years. Do you feel like the election is what represents that? Do you feel like the fever is broken, I guess? Now, how on earth do we ask Biden about can we have some decency like he is the face of decency? These people just spent two years saying the Republicans were Jim Crow segregationists and domestic terrorists and election deniers and global warming deniers and people who want you to have an abortion after a rape. Oh, can we have some decency? When have the Democrats shown any decency? When has CNN showed any civility or nonpartisanship? Phil Mattingly should have, be ashamed to ask this question. Has the fever broken at CNN? Chris Licht came in and said he was going to break the fever. Doesn't sound like it. Anybody watching Don Lemon on the morning show and his little turtleneck? Does he sound civil? Or does he still sound like a Democrat hack? Pick B. This is one of those, I just listen to a question like this and what I like to tweet about it is, what the flugelhorn How is CNN asking about decency and civility when they can't manage any? Why don't you try starting it, okay? It's sort of like Bill Clinton suggesting everyone else should behave better toward women. We don't want your lectures. You look silly. Well, okay, if it's a silliness contest, there's still April Ryan. This is one of those things. You know, when I was a reporter... In the White House. I, did, I was tempted at times to ask Ari Fleischer a question that was not constructive. Helen Thomas was there in the front row, and she would try to drop these bombs. And sometimes I just considered, you know, when I got to my question 30 minutes into the briefing, Ari, um, is, do you consider Helen Thomas of sound mind, or is she just cray-cray? You know, I mean, I... Y- how is Ari Fleischer supposed to answer that with her sitting right there? I mean, I, I know that's, that's not going to help. He might giggle inside, but it's not a constructive question. This is where I look at April Ryan and I'm like, can we all decide that April Ryan is kind of a joke? I'm sorry. I'm not saying women of color can't be great reporters, but she's not. She is, you put April Ryan, Democrat of D.C. April Ryan representing the NAACP or Black Lives Matter, you know, pick the fringiest black organization out there. April Ryan is there. Just the Congressional Black Caucus, wherever the Congressional Black Caucus is. favoring riots is a racial reckoning. Well, April Ryan had to ask about affirmative action. Now, If there's a phrase that I cannot stand, it's affirmative action. Now, I know I've said I can't stand the term abortion care. I hate it because abortion isn't care toward the baby. I also can't stand the phrase gender affirming care when you're amputating a penis. (laughs) That would not seem to be gender affirming. You know, how people in the media use these terms when they know they sound... You know, we're the reality-based press. Obviously, you're not. So, yes, to me, affirmative action is a very, very nebulous term that doesn't define what's actually happening here. Now, some of the coverage of this Supreme Court case about uh, using race in college admissions said it this way. The Supreme Court will look into whether you can use race in college admissions. Now, that Is accurate. That is technically a good description. And in this case, if they were really going to be a little more aggressive, they would say the Supreme Court will take up whether colleges have the right to discriminate against Asian Americans. I think Fox has probably used that verbiage because, you know, that's how you own the libs by describing things as they actually are. So, yes. Uh, April Ryan's worried that there's going to be a rollback and then of course because she's a drama queen says I found experts that there are tentacles from this that this could impact Brown versus Board of Education and you just want to say did you get into Hunter Biden's drug stash how on earth is this like resegregating America if you're considering race in college admissions I mean, and this is, you know, it's a Democrat press secretary. It's Queen Jean-Pierre. So she's not going to say, what? She's going to be happy. She was just handed a softball. Now, the other one, the other question that I really thought was kooky was Bloomberg White House reporter Jenny Leonard. Now, let's start just from here. Who's going to treat Bloomberg News as a real thing? Michael Bloomberg Who's a massive donor to the Democrats, who ran for president, who, you know, who was mayor of New York, extremely political and partisan guy, who wanted to ban you from buying a big gulp. Bloomberg News? Seriously? I advise you, as a longtime media critic, to point and laugh whenever somebody presents themselves from Bloomberg News. It has all the same kind of objectivity as the Trump News Network, okay? Michael Bloomberg, billionaire, egotist, has a news service named after himself because he's that kind of egotist. We have Bloomberg News. We have Bloomberg Business Week. We have Bloomberg this and Bloomberg that and Bloomberg that and Bloomberg shoes. Uh, Maybe not Bloomberg shoes, but you get my point. And so, of course, Bloomberg Jenny, she should actually, that should be part of her name, Uh, We turn now to Jenny Bloomberg, Leonard, or Bloomberg Jenny, asks Biden whether, uh, is, is Elon Musk a threat to U.S. national security? Huh? Now, why don't you ask this one, Bloomberg Jenny? If Musk has too many foreign connections, she mentioned foreign governments, which include the Saudis, he has... Shady partnerships with foreign governments. Guess who else has shady partnerships with foreign governments? The Biden family. Okay? Hunter Biden in China. Okay? So the idea that you're going to somehow say, well, should we investigate Elon Musk as a threat to national security? Well, why don't we investigate the Bidens as a threat to national security? This is how stupid your question is. This just shows you You know, this is Bloomberg basically getting out, you know, uh, his trash talk. This is like billionaires fighting each other. Elon Musk, you have too much media power, said Michael Bloomberg. Sit down. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't tell whether you're standing up or sitting down. You're so short. Michael Bloomberg just annoys me. And, you know, if you think Jenny Leonard comes up with these questions on her own, I don't think so. I think Bloomberg News comes in with a set of Bloomberg-approved questions. That's my personal feeling, because this is a dumbass question. Twitter offers some sense of free speech without crushing a story on Hunter Biden. This is what Bloomberg Jenny is really saying. Can we trust Elon Musk? What we want is a Twitter that crushes the Hunter Biden story and whether Hunter Biden's a threat to U.S. national security. These people, Democrats are reporters and reporters are Democrats, and they sense now Elon Musk is somehow a Republican. Elon Musk has spoken well of Republicans. That's just enough right there. She's not asking any questions about TikTok. Is TikTok a threat to U.S. national security? Why can't Bloomberg Jenny ask that? So then uh, Joe Biden is off to uh, Sharm el-Sheikh Egypt to meet with people at the latest UN Climate Summit. They call it COP 27 because the UN wants to be everybody's climate cop. And I think the media has a dramatic bias in favor of the United Nations. And I think whatever the United Nations says about climate, you know, it's like they're like the Vatican of climate. Okay, I can say this as a Catholic. They treat the United Nations as the Vatican of the climate. And everything they pronounce is church, you know, the church of climate is spoken. They treat it as science, of course, but so much of what they're doing is projecting how we're going to come to certain doom in 2030. Is it science to be able to project? We can't project the weather seven or ten days ahead. You can't project the path of the hurricane seven days But we can somehow determine the way the weather's gonna be 10 years from now. Now, there's one really big media problem with this idea of having the arrogance of knowing what it's gonna be like 10 years from now. When I was a young man at this organization, the Media Research Center, in 1990 and 1989, we had people running around saying, We have 10 years left, 10 years. PBS had a series that said we could have catastrophe by the year 2000. Does anybody remember the global temperature catastrophe of the year 2000? Hmm. This is where, on some level, you just say, you know, yeah. I'm going to call climate hoax. You can get upset and say, how dare you be a climate denier? You know what you're denying? You're denying the reality of what did not happen in the year 2000 or in 2010 or in 2020. And we can all go back. And we could spend weeks doing this, pulling up all your stupid quotes from 1988 or 1990 or 1992 or 1994, where CNN and these people all projected Earth was going to hell in the next 10 years. It gets a little tiresome. But, of course, yes, the United Nations Secretary General, who's the Pope of climate, if we're going to use that scenario. Now, the joke as a conservative Catholic is the Pope of the Catholic Church is kind of the Pope of climate. And also, I'm sure he agrees very much with the U.N. take on this. Oh, well, uh, you know, the Pope is, our, is the master of church teaching, but I don't think he's a climatologist. I think we have the freedom to dissent from his weather forecasts. Uh, Yes. uh, Antonio Guterres, formerly known as the Socialist Party Prime Minister of Portugal, came out and made one of these red hot Twitter trolling statements. Our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. Yes. The sound of 1990 still ringing in 2022. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Highway to climate hell. You know, then he had to add, he, he had to add, we can sign a climate solidarity pact or a collective suicide pact. Doom and gloom. And yet they all flew to Egypt on big fat jets. That's not fair. You can't complain that we flew our big fat jets around the world and clogged the atmosphere because we have great intentions. And then they'll try to say, we balanced our carbon footprint and all eight trees. I don't know what they, you know, they're, they're hypocrites when they do this. Why don't you try having a summit over Zoom? What bothers me about all of this is that you basically found, I went looking for this. Um, And I've heard some of this when I listen to national public radio. And that is the U.N. is quite explicit that they expect we'll have a 45 percent reduction in climate emissions or carbon emissions by the year 2030. Forty five percent. Now, in one of these reports, they suggested that under covid, when we were all locked down and didn't drive anywhere, That was a 7% reduction in emissions. Now imagine what we're going to have to live through to get to 45%. Just let that sink in. You know, I think we all tried to do our part on COVID, and we all submitted to the lockdowns, or many of us submitted to the lockdowns. Can you imagine saying, Well, I'm sorry. That was only a 7% reduction in energy. So we need to about quintuple what we've just been through. And that's where we just have to say, who is questioning the United Nations? Is there someone there who would stand up and say, simply, what is the UN doing that's going to be constructive here? And who made the UN the, the global government that will rule everyone? That's not what our Constitution says. It doesn't say we the people submit to the Socialist Party Prime Minister of Portugal. And of course, though, you know, you can go to NPR and their whole question is basically like, what does the UN hope to accomplish? Will the developing countries succeed in getting wealthier countries to throw them a pile of money because somehow... Climate change is ruining island nations. And the only dissenting note you're going to get is dissent between leftists, because reporters are Democrats, and Democrats are reporters. So the only dissent you're going to get is, well, in Egypt, where there, will there be enough room for the radical kuk-kami protesters? Will Egyptians let the commies in? to scream that somehow Antonio Guterres is a climate cuck. Greta Thunberg is going to arrive on the scene and yell at Antonio Guterres, "How dare you, you wimp?" That's the that is the range of debate on our taxpayer-funded radio, you know. Uh, a couple of days a- ago, uh, Steve Inskeep on Morning Edition had an interview with one of these Uh, Girls, I can say that. I'm old enough to say that a 20 something lady is a 22 year old person is a girl. I'm sorry. At least when it comes to political action, I'm going to say spend some time in politics. Um, uh, You know, your vote counts, but you're not necessarily, you know an august voice of public policy, especially when your idea is I'm going to draw attention by throwing tomato soup at a painting and gluing myself to the wall, which sounds really a lot more like somebody who needs to go to bed, somebody who needs to be sent to bed without supper. I mean, it's, it's brattiness, to be honest, as a tactic. I glued myself to the wall. What do you want to do now? Uh, leave you there for a week. That would be my answer. But, of course, the question that NPR had to ask was, what is it like? What is like gluing yourself to the wall like? What did Van Gogh do to you? This is, honestly, the tenor of the questions from Steve Inskeep. Now, it's not much different than the kind of questions Steve Inskeep asked to Barack Obama. But this is the whole point. Barack Obama is a conservative next to this person. These are the people where they literally say, stop bringing oil out of the ground. And the first question I'm going to ask somebody from Stop Oil is, do you walk everywhere? Do you you ride a bike everywhere you go? Because you ought to live up to your own standards. If you think all the oil should stay in the ground, any one of you, if you think all the oil should stay in the ground, don't get in a car. Live like the Amish. Because I don't want to hear you lecturing me. It's the same way I feel about broadcasters. If carbon emissions, if electricity is poisoning the planet, well, maybe you ought to unplug your TV and radio networks. Oh, and your newspapers, you're ruining, you're causing deforestation. So maybe you should live by your principles and stop publishing newspapers. Oy, You know, so the thing that bothers me about this is, yes, we're going to have this now if we have a Republican House. Oh, there's so many things in the Biden agenda that won't pass. Yes, you know what's not going to pass? We're, gonna, we're not going to turn the economy of America over to Antonio Guterres. That has somehow been stopped. You know, we play this game in American politics. They got all upset when Donald Trump pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords. And they even were cynical enough to suggest the David Frums and some of these other people. Well, then honestly, what you wanted to do is you wanted to go to the International Climate Confab and repeat everything they said and said, oh, yes, this is a very dire threat, and we're going to do everything we can, and then you go back and you do what you want. And they actually said, you know, Trump could just do what he wants, but just go over there and kiss everybody's ring, because that's what we think. We're not cynical people at all. We want you to be a public hypocrite. That's public policy. Go tell the UN that you agree with them, and then don't meet your goals. That's what most of the world does when it comes to climate. They all get together. And they speak about how they're going to meet their climate goals, and then they don't. Which I'm fine with, because your climate goals are socialism. It's a command economy based on something we don't even know will actually happen. And based on your past predictions, you don't have a great record when you say the world's going to end by the year 2000. Maybe people should be a little skeptical about what you have to say. And there they are in Egypt, and they have a climate clock that says we have six years and 255 days before, you know, we've reached the crisis point. Now you're going to get it. You didn't listen to everything Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told you what to do, because she, that woman, is a scientist and a bartender. Ay ay ay. So, I mean, this is the thing, is that these people will say democracy is on the ballot. The media doesn't practice democracy. The media doesn't believe in democracy. The media wants to crush the Republican Party like a grape. That's what they get up to do every day. I'm sorry. If that's not your goal, it's certainly the way it looks like when we watch the TV. We are not going to have actual Republicans on our airwaves because we've decided they're all election deniers. So, if, unless you're Liz Cheney, you're not getting on our airwaves. This was what apparently uh, Chris Licht was going to fix at CNN. But yeah, Republicans in general are going to be like, well, if I'm going to come in and get beaten by a Jim Acosta, why should I bother coming in? They don't believe in democracy. If they did, they'd be upset by the composition of the January 6th committee. That wasn't democracy. That was a very, very one-sided event, and these people all hailed it as a model for future congressional investigations. Now, I ask you, if the Republicans decide we're going to create a joint committee on the Biden family finances, and we're going to stack it with Republicans and two Democrats that the Democrats think are Republicans, you think, and, and we're going to hire a producer from Fox to, uh, to make a TV program out of it. Instead of it being actual testimony, we're just going to show little clips of pre-taped testimony like a TV show. Do you think CNN's going to go, oh, this is a model for future investigations? No, they're not, because Democrats are reporters, and reporters are Democrats. I'm sorry. I'm getting a little repetitive. Just the way it looks to me right now, we would really like you to prove us wrong. Try to be a journalist who actually cares first about what is the public's business. Why don't we start from that? What are the, what are the voters interested in? What, what kind of change do they want to see? These people can't start from the beginning. They're all about telling the voters and the people what they should have. They lecture people about what to think. They don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to actually do the people's business because they don't trust the people. They're going to constantly tell the people what to do. So I guess we didn't have one of those elections where, you know, the anchors came on and said the voters threw a two-year-old temper tantrum. The two-year-old temper tantrums, the climate protests. But, you know, yes, we're going to be in a period now where it looks like we're going to have divided government. And if you don't like divided government in the press, that's because you have a one-party state inside NBC, Hallie Jackson. All these people, uh, uh, Nancy Cordes, you have a one-party state inside CBS. You hate divided government because it's not the way you run your news division. And their goal is the Democrats having 100 senators and 435 members of Congress. That's their nirvana. And then their idea of debate is Greta Thunberg. Is she right or half right? This is the world we live in. So if you want to see how we uh, chronicle what the reporters are up to, you got to come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.